Would you take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12? We will be looking at verses 1 and 2 this morning. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen. Well, today we're going to talk about offering ourselves to God. Totally, completely giving ourselves to God. And one of the things that keeps many people from doing that is their fear of suffering or fear of what God may ask you to do or fear of what God may ask us to give up. And it really does come down to a matter of trust, just like in that sketch. Can I trust God that His will for me is good or that His plans and His ways are best? Can I trust Him that even if in that path in my life it involves suffering, that God is still there and present and He will use all things for good in my life? Paul begins this section with a strong appeal to every follower of Jesus Christ to give yourself fully to Him. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. It begins in the English text with the word therefore. And whenever you see that, it is a reminder that this appeal is based on everything that has gone before. The word therefore is like the hinge that connects it with everything that Paul has written in the first part of the letter. And he makes this appeal in view of God's mercy. In view of everything that God has done for us, I want you to consider and act on this appeal. Now think about that. I mean, think about what we've been reading and studying in the book of Romans, you know. Think of all that God has done for us. He has sent His Son to die for us, to be our Savior. He has saved us from the wrath that is to come through faith in Christ. He's made us a new person in Christ. He's given us His Holy Spirit who comes and lives within us. He's redeemed us and adopted us into His family as a child of God. On and on the blessings are listed in the book of Romans for those who have come to place their confidence, their trust, their hope in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And Paul says, in view of all of that, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices to God. The word urge in the Greek is the word parakaleo. And it is a strong word. And the strength of this word, it's kind of interesting. It falls somewhere between I command you and I appeal to you or I beseech you. It's not quite saying I command you to do this, but it is stronger than just a request that you should do this. When I read it, I get the feel that Paul is saying, if I could make you do this, I would. Because it is the very best thing for you to do. But I can't make you do this. Even God doesn't make us do that. He gives us this appeal, this invitation. 
And we must make the choice ourselves to give ourselves freely and willingly to God. I understand what Paul is saying here when he says, I urge you and I appeal to you as an apostle to offer yourself to God as a living sacrifice. I mean, I feel that way as a pastor. I appeal to you as your pastor to act on this, to do this, because I know that the very best thing for you is to live as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. There's no greater joy, there's no greater freedom and fulfillment in life than to live in the way that God intends for each one of us. Whatever that path may take us on, God is good and He can be trusted. You see, there are three questions that every believer needs to settle in their life. The first one is the question of lordship. And we come into that in verse 1 here when Paul makes this appeal to us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. It is the question, whom will I serve? And Jesus himself talked about this many times in his earthly ministry. And he said, for example, in Luke 16:13, that no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, he could have said you cannot serve God and pride or selfish ambition. He could have said you cannot serve God and a love of power. Or you can't serve God and sports, or God and business, or God and sex, or God and self. One needs to be subordinated to the other. And God must have first place in our life. He appeals to us to give ourselves completely to God as a living sacrifice, to make Jesus the Lord of our life and come and follow Him. He urges us to present our bodies as this living sacrifice, to place it on the altar, if you will. And when He uses the word bodies, He is referring to the whole person. It is appealing to us to offer our mind to God. That the things that we think about, things we meditate on, the things that we dream about or aspire to, that all of those are given to God. That we want to live for His glory. He's appealing to us to offer our eyes to God. What we see, what we look at, the movies we watch, or the television shows we watch, or the books we read, or the magazines that we look at. Are they honoring to God and do they help us in our relationship with Him? I want you to offer your ears to God. What you hear, the music you listen to, the stations you listen to, whatever it is that you are hearing, even in conversation and in speech, are they the things that are helping you to grow and to mature in your walk with Christ or are they tearing you down? I want you to offer your mouth to God. What you say, do you use your mouth as an instrument of blessing and encouragement? Do you speak the truth? Or do you gossip and slander? And do you sometimes twist the truth and exaggerate? I want you to offer your hands and feet to God as a living sacrifice that encompasses everywhere that you go and everything that you do. Offer yourself. To God. And the idea of a living sacrifice is one as opposed to the uh, sacrificial system where an animal was killed and offered as a dead sacrifice to God. 
this sacrifice is ongoing. It is a lifelong commitment, and that is far more difficult to follow through on. It is not a one-time thing that we do, but it is a continual giving of ourselves to live for His glory every day of our life. In the Old Testament, there were two main types of sacrifices. There were those that were required for reconciliation as a payment for man's sin. An offering had to be made as an atonement for sin, a recognition on the part of the individual that he had offended or broken God's law. And so that sacrifice was required in order to be reconciled. But there were other sacrifices that were made that were voluntary. They were done as an act of worship or thanksgiving. Maybe you had experienced a blessing in your life, an answer to prayer, or you had seen God work, or maybe you were just so grateful for His presence in your life that you brought a voluntary sacrifice to Him. Christ's death is the first type. Our giving of ourselves is the second type. Christ's death is necessary for the forgiveness of sins. And He made a payment that we could not make ourselves. But the giving of ourselves to God fully and completely is that willing sacrifice of one who comes and says to Jesus, because of all that you have done for me, I want to give myself fully and completely to you. It is coming to that point in our life where we make a decisive break with the world. There comes that moment when we must decide who we are going to follow and who we are going to live for and who we're going to serve. You know, I think in my own life of how God step by step led me in that journey. Where at age 10, I for the first time heard the gospel clearly presented and I gave myself to Christ as best as I could and I asked Him to forgive my sins and be my Savior and Lord. But as I grew older, I began to understand more of what that means. And I renewed that commitment in those years in college. And finally, when it came to the point where I was deciding, what am I going to do with my life? And God was calling me toward ministry. I remember coming to that point of looking. I was was at home. It was a beautiful summer evening. I was on the farm and I was looking out on our yard and the buildings and the machinery and the fields and all of that that was there. And I knew what God was asking me to do. And I came to that point of surrender. And I said, Jesus, here it is. All that I have, all that I am, I give it to you. And I want to follow you completely in whatever you ask me to do. And step by step, God brings us to a point of surrender to Him. And what Paul says about that offering of ourselves to God as a living sacrifice is that it is holy and pleasing to God. To do that pleases God. It is honoring to Him. It's a recognition that our lives are are to be devoted to Christ fully. He calls it our spiritual act of worship. And the word spiritual in some of your translations and some of the different versions... Uh, sometimes read this is your reasonable act of worship. And, and the reason it says that is because in Greek, the word that's used there for spiritual is the word logikos. It's the word that we use for, or in English, we translate that as logic or logical. What Paul is saying is that for the believer to offer himself fully to God is the most logical thing that you could do. 
I mean, this is reasonable. And when you understand all that Christ has done for us and who God is, it is the most rational, intelligent decision you can make to give yourself fully to Him without holding back, without any reservation. You know, I think in the, in the church that we have seen many different examples of that. One was the example of C.T. Studd, a young English cricket player who grew up in a home where he was set to inherit millions. And he chose to give it all away to follow Jesus Christ as a missionary who would serve in China and India and Africa. And he said this, that if Christ be God and died for me, there is nothing too great that I can do for Him. It is the most reasonable thing that I can do with my life to give it fully to Christ. We sing that too in the hymn that Isaac Watts wrote. He wrote the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, in which Jesus died. And he tells the story of what Christ has done for us, and he comes to the last verse, and he says, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. When we understand again what Christ has done for us, how can we give Him any less than that? To do anything less would be dishonoring to Him who is our Lord and our King. And so I ask you, is Jesus the Lord of your life? And does it show in the way in which you live? And secondly, every believer needs to settle the question of lifestyle. Whose standards will I live by? Am I going to live by the world's standards and value system or am I going to live by God's? We say that in verse 2. When Paul says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now obviously you can't separate this question from the question of lordship. To have Jesus be Lord means that we are going to follow His will for our life. But there are two sides in this process of spiritual growth that Paul talks about here. On the one side, he's saying don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. The Living Bible says don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And that's a good way of saying it because that's exactly what the world tries to do. It tries to get us to conform to the pattern of this world. It tries to get us to adopt the world's value system and to live by that. And we're bombarded with those messages all the time, whether it's in television or movies or advertising or things that we read. And they have an effect upon our life unless we choose to live differently. I mean, think about the messages of what is sent in television or movies today. I mean, it will tell us that sex outside of marriage is fine and there are no consequences. I mean, isn't that sort of the message, you know? Uh, you see it in so many movies as though they can do this and they can have affairs or have sex outside of marriage and it's like there's no problem with that at all. Living together before marriage is presented as acceptable. Religion is often presented as old-fashioned or worse. Rarely is there a television show or a movie where a family is portrayed where going to church is an important and valued part of their life. And you can see that. Clergy, pastors, priests are often presented either as frauds or hypocrites or misfits. 
Rare is the time today when you see a television show or movie where a pastor is portrayed in a positive light. You know, when I come across one of those shows, I, I like it. I, it stands out to me because it's an example of something that is quite different from the normal view in our world. And if you think about advertising, you know, in the commercials you watch, uh, whether the commercials are trying to sell beer or cars or other material possessions, you know, they all sort of have this message, if you buy this product, then you'll be happy. Or if you wear this cologne, then you'll get the girl. Or if you have this, you know, possession, then you're going to feel happy and fulfilled and achieve a certain status in your life. The result is that I think there are a lot of people in our world who are trying to live out a beer commercial. You know, if you have a beer and a ball game, boy, that's it. That's like the, the top. Or if you have a beer and you're by the lake, you know, that's about as good as it gets. Is the message that is sent. But is that all there is to life? I mean, is that the sum total of our existence? Not at all. Not at all. It's not even close. That's why Paul says that we are to be transformed, metamorphosed, changed by the renewing of our mind. To see and understand what God wants for us, what God is preparing for us, and how we should live in this world. And it is a process. It does not happen overnight. We are to be continually changed by the renewing of our mind, he says. And how is our mind renewed? It is renewed by the Word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. When we take the time to read God's Word and study it and think about it and meditate on it and put it into practice in our life, we let the Holy Spirit work in us and He teaches us. And we begin to adopt His values and His thoughts and our priorities change. We come to understand how much God loves people and cares about their eternal destiny. We understand how good God is and gracious in providing for us. We come to understand that life isn't about money and possessions. It's not all about me. It's about God. It's about knowing Him and living in a way that pleases Him. We begin to understand that there is a reason that we are here and that He has a plan and a purpose for our life. And that this life is so short compared to what is to come in eternity. Randy Alcorn, in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, tells this story. He said, When a good friend of mine discovered that she had only a short time to live, she told me of her radical changes in perspective. She said, The most striking thing that's happened to me is that I find myself totally uninterested in all the conversations about material things. Things used to matter to me. But now I find my thoughts are never on possessions, but always on Christ and people. And I consider it a privilege that I can live each day knowing I will die soon. What a difference he makes. The Bible tells us that it is in this life that we are laying the foundation on which our eternal life will be built. The things in this life matter. We build upon the foundation that is Jesus Christ and the relationship that we have with Him. 
But the way that we use our time and our possessions and our talents, our gifts that we have been given, all of that makes a difference for eternity, and we will see that one day. The things that we've done in this life are like an investment that we are making in eternity when they are done for the glory of God. And eternity will hold for us whatever we have used in this life for God. No wonder the Scripture makes it clear that the one central business of this life is to prepare for the next. The most important thing that I can do is to be growing in my relationship with Jesus Christ. And when I choose to follow Him, it affects every area of my life, and it makes all of life better. In 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17, the Scripture says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. What a powerful statement that is. And so each one of us must answer the question, whose standards will I live by? Am I going to live by the world's value system or will I live by what God has said in His Word? And the third question we need to settle or answer is the question of life's direction. And we see that in the second half of verse 2. It is the question, what am I going to do with my life? Now I know that that is a question that many young people are asking. You know, when we're a teenager or we're a young adult and we're in those years of college or after high school trying to figure out what our career is going to be or what we're going to do for a vocation, we wonder about that. There are many different opportunities and there are many different directions that we can go. And so how do you know what God's will is for my life? What is it that I am supposed to do? And how can I answer that question? How can I know what God, God's will is for me? Well, Paul answers that question here in the second half of verse 2 when he says that then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's really an if-then kind of proposition. That if you will offer yourself to God, if you will turn away from the world's value system and be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then God will show you His will. And He will show you what to do. It all begins with offering ourselves to Him. You see, there are some preconditions, if you will, to knowing God's will. God isn't particularly interested in showing His will to someone who doesn't want to do it. God doesn't really care to reveal the glories of what He has for us to those who have no desire to walk with Him. But instead, if we will give ourselves fully to Him, and if we will walk with Him daily in the Word and prayer, He will direct our steps. And He will make His way clear. And that doesn't mean that we won't wrestle with decisions about college or work or about marriage and money. There are decisions to be made, but what we find is that most of God's will is revealed for us in His Word. 
And when we come to know Him and grow in that relationship, we understand how we are to treat one another and what's important in life and that character does matter and that God will even use suffering in our life for good to teach us things that we couldn't learn any other way. It's just a whole lot easier for God to steer us when we are moving in a direction that's following Him. And when we come to Him in prayer and we wait upon Him, He shows us the path that He wants us to take. And what does Paul say about God's will? He tells us here that God's will is good. It is good to God and it is good for us. It is pleasing. In fact, in Greek it is the word, it is well-pleasing to God and to us when we come to understand it. Because we learn that God wants to place us in a way that will use our gifts to the fullest. He wants us to experience joy in our relationship with Him. Jesus said that in in our relationship with Him is found fullness of joy. You want to be truly happy and satisfied and fulfilled in life? Then this is the way to give yourself to God. And He tells us that God's will is perfect. It is tailor-made for us. And we can trust Him. Isn't that good news? I mean, isn't that exactly what we want to come to the end of our days and to be able to look back with no regrets? You know, when I think about my own life, and I look back on my life, I have never regretted any decision that I have made to follow Christ. Anytime God has asked me to do something and I've done it, I have not regretted those things that God has asked me to do in my life. The things that I have regretted are the times when I look back on my life and I see where I disobeyed and I sinned against Him. And I followed my own way instead of His way and those are the things that I wish I could do over and change. And I know that even in those, God uses them to humble us and to teach us how much that we depend upon Him. And He can use those mistakes and sins in our life even ultimately for good. But I have never regretted my decision to follow Him fully. And I know for many of you that have come to that point, you would say the very same thing. And so I appeal to you to offer yourselves fully to God. There's a story I came across about a young child who was in a church service one Sunday morning. And in her Sunday school class prior to that service, the teacher had been talking about this very passage, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so when it came for the point in the service where the offering was being collected and the plate was being passed down the row, she happened to be sitting on the end and she took the offering plate that morning and she put it down on the floor next to her. And then she got up and she stood in it. She stood in the offering plate. Well, you can imagine what the usher thought that morning as he was looking at her and wondering what she was doing. And so he came up and he asked her, Why are you standing in the offering plate? And she said, Well, this morning in Sunday school, I learned that I was supposed to give myself to God. And she was doing it in her own way. Now, I'm not asking you to stand in the offering plate. But I am asking you to surrender your life to Him. And to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And to give yourself completely to Him. Would you do that this morning? I want to ask you as we close in prayer here. To stand as an expression of your commitment to Him today. 
Would you stand and pray, and then the worship team will come and lead us in our final hymn. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, you alone know the attitude of our heart. And these are questions that we must take seriously of who are we going to serve, whose values are we going to live by, and what are we going to do with our life, whatever stage we are at. And Father, I pray today, in the quietness of our own heart, that each of us would make that commitment to make Jesus Lord. Would you lead us and guide us? Here today we give ourselves completely to you. For some it may be the very first time. For others it may be a renewal of that commitment. But Lord, here I am. I give you my heart and my soul. I give you my mind. I give you my strength. And I pray that you would use me for your honor and glory. May that be our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen.